0: Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, January 31st, the year of our Lord, 2023. People are going to get paid. Players are going to get paid. You just might not be one of those players that, according to major head coaches all around the country, you're just now starting to hear it. We are jam-packed. We are high atop an icy downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We are so jam-packed, we've actually got a guest on the show tonight. and I don't know that we've brought many warm bodies into this studio, but we're going to have one. He's out in the hallway as we speak. Uh, Nick Saban's been saying it. I guess you just finally heard it. Yeah, I caught wind of that little NIL kerfuffle. Those, Those terms, those phrases, those sentences. Dare Nick Saban say them. Yeah, I heard it. I've got some things to say about it tonight. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you will in just a second. The Big 12 released their schedule. The ACC released their schedule. There are like 47 teams in the Big 12 now. Don't worry. We're going to make sense of it. I got everything you need to know on that. Um, There are some things, quite frankly, we couldn't even fit in the show tonight, so we pushed it till Thursday because National Signing Day is tomorrow, so I want you to get fully up to speed on all the latest scoop that's going on there, and you won't have to hear it from me. You'll hear it from Wilt Fong because we're going to bring him right in here. uh, Well, I don't know how long the show is going to go, but we'll bring him in here before the end of the show. Also, this This Jalen Hurts argument that shouldn't be is permeating around the college football sphere. So I'm not going to waste much time tonight on the Izzy Alabama, Izzy Oklahoma. Um, There are other places you could go for that. But I do have some stories I promised I was going to tell you. One in particular about that SEC championship game. Not the national title game in 2017, the SEC title game the next year and... Dare I even mention a story that everyone has forgotten? Dare I mention a story that maybe made Alabama fans a little restless going into the 2018 season? See, everyone remembers a couple of dates. Title game, title game. There was some stuff in the middle that people have forgotten about. We didn't forget. We'll talk about it tonight. Shoreview, Minnesota is tuned in. We thank you so much. As is Savannah, Georgia and Hickory, North Carolina. National signing day is tomorrow. I can't, in strong enough terms, stress you got to be following the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. That is separate from the one you're watching right now. So I appreciate you being here. Please don't get me wrong. It's just nice if you go uh, subscribe to the 24-7 channel too, because that's where I'll be tomorrow. That's where a cast of seemingly thousands will be tomorrow. And um, going to be wall-to-wall coverage. Still got commitments coming up. Still got a lot of stuff breaking. I mean, there is, there is intel being gathered about 30 feet from me, even as we speak. And I hope Fingers crossed that we can get some of it on the show tonight. In the meantime, let's dive in. I have some things that I need to talk to you about before we talk National Signing Day. Um, where should, I, where should I begin with this? You know what? There's no easy way, so I'll just dive into it. Nick Saban had some stuff to say about NIL. That might not be great breaking news to you. Nick Saban, quite frankly, has been saying the same stuff a lot of you have been saying. Now, you may not be a Bama fan, so you may secretly hate on Saban for saying stuff that you actually agree with, but... Here's the thing. Ever since that little Jimbo Fisher Nick Saban incident where he was supposed to be off the record, but it ended up on the record uh, about 10 or 11 months ago, he hasn't spoken publicly about it a whole lot. But Nick Saban doesn't have to call a press conference to get messaging out. He could do something like, for example, head to Montgomery at the Alabama Football Coaches Association convention where he's speaking in front of a bunch of football coaches who are listening to every word he says, and he could express sentiments that he wants out there in the public sphere. And he did just that. He did just that. Jesse, I just realized you didn't hand me the printout, so I'm just going to, off the top of my head, paraphrase what Nick Saban said. He talked about two instances with NIL recently at Alabama, and he did not need to name the names because it was very clear who he was talking about. Cormonte McLean's one of them, and Javion Cohen's the other one. I'm not going to beat around the bush on that. Javion Cohen was a player at Alabama. He was an offensive lineman. And Nick Saban said, hey, there's a player who wanted half a million dollars from us and he wanted us to get his girlfriend into law school and I showed him the door. And then there was a a father or someone, I think he said someone close to one of the top corners in the country in this recruiting cycle who wanted 800 grand for him to come here. I said, you need to go find somewhere else to play. And that was what Nick Saban said. He was basically responding in a Q&A format to what NIL has been like to deal with. And um, for those of you who had not heard that, I want you to take a second, as we often do on the show, and I want you to let it simmer, okay? I don't want you to fly off the handle. Gather in your own mind how you feel about that. Saban essentially saying a high school player's representatives hit him up for money, and he said, nope, too much, go elsewhere. And one of his own players tried to hold him up against the wall and not only get money out of him, but also, (laughs) he didn't use the word extort, but I will, extort the university for a spot for his girlfriend in the law school. How do you feel about that? Not that it happened. I'm asking you how you feel about Sabin's comments, because I got quite frankly, a reaction I did not expect from most of you. Most of you were surprised to shocked that he said it. Some of you were shocked that it happened, and several more of you were shocked that Nick Sabin wouldn't go for it. The first batch of people, I just want to say welcome to Nil, and it's not always going to be this way. i, I I assure you, we are headed for better waters. We are headed for smoother waters. It's just going to take a little while. I'll explain it to you in a second. But as for the other group, the group essentially, and you know him as well as I do, you may be one of them. I'm not talking down to you. I just want to ask you some questions tonight. That group would sound something like this. Saban's been doing this for years. Why why does this bother him? Shouldn't he welcome it? it? The kids tell him exactly what it takes. That's how Bama got where they are. Now, you know that crowd. Some of you participate in that actively. And uh, so if you watch this show, you've heard me speak about this. In fact, I did a segment, Jesse, Colin, I'd say it was about two months ago, where I told you some of the big boy programs, some of the premier brands in this sport are not doing at all what you think they're doing in both recruiting and NIL. It's totally inverted to the way that some people believe it's operating. Some people believe, for example, the Georgias or Alabamas or uh, Clemsons of the world, they must be Uh, paying inordinate amounts of money because that's the only way that they would acquire a lot of that talent. And I told you at the time, the opposite is actually true. I didn't tell you they weren't participating in NIL. It would be dumb not to participate. I told you some of the biggest players in the room, the Alabamas and Georgias of the world, because I have firsthand knowledge of this, aren't offering top dollar. In fact, they're offering 30, 40, 50% less in NIL money. Now, I'm talking about collectives because we got to keep the segment on the up and up, of course. I'm talking about collectives. I'm talking about the understood amount of money you will make if you go play at University A versus B versus C. It's less at many of those programs. Some of you just flat out didn't believe me, and to that, I can't really do anything else. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, But the other crowd was surprised when I said that, and I said, watch and see. You don't have to take my word for it you will find this out down the road because it's still new NIL was still new so at the time we didn't have a bunch of case study that we could do on this well we're starting to get a little bit more of it you know we had for instance Caden Proctor big five-star tackle out of Iowa flips from Iowa upsets the masses up there in the Hawkeye State and he commits to Alabama and sure enough it resonated on all four corners of the internet and everywhere in between Alabama outbid Iowa So much so that the kid came out and said, I took less guaranteed money to go to Alabama. What are you people talking about? And I kind of, I shrugged at the time and I said, do you have information that counters what the kid himself is saying? Like what's the motivation there? But some people still wanted to believe what they wanted to believe. So anyway, I I know there's a good reason why people don't believe what I'm saying. And the reason is because some folks absent firsthand knowledge of how the inner workings of collegiate athletics run, they have allowed message boards or just their own speculation to drive whatever theories they happen to hold. And a lot of it's just, you don't want to admit that those programs are that good. So it's a whole lot easier. You know, when they're they're beating you to death nine times out of 10 and when they're out recruiting you, it's just easier to think, well, there's something not on the up and up. You know, they're, 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 cutting, they're cutting third base. They're, they're not touching all four bags. They're, they're cutting corners on us and they're bending the rules and whatever. Because um, as sure as I say this, someone's going to be in the comments before the show's even over saying, well, you're, you're saying those, those programs have never bent the rules before? It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying those programs are not gaining an inordinate advantage on you because they are doing something illegal. That's what I'm saying. And I know a lot of people push back on that. They just never push back with tangible evidence. I'm suggesting, in other words, that there are places that have a proven track record of development where they don't have to traffic in this. And I'm suggesting there are some other places out there that have been woeful for a long time that may very well have to go above and beyond with the dollar figure that they're throwing out there. So anyway, that set all this stuff up this past week. Sabin makes these comments and everyone flies off the handle. And I, I listened to it and I said, I'm surprised he hasn't done this already. But on a more fundamental level, uh, it's not what he didn't say. Like a lot of people said out coming out of that. I looked at a bunch of comments section and they're saying, look at Saban holier than thou," acting like they're not paying out NIL money. No, he's not. Uh, I've actually listened to him talk about how much NIL money their players have made. He's not saying anything like that. I've never said anything like that. It's not just Saban. Sabin happens to be the focal point of of this particular topic. You could talk about Kirby over at Georgia. Uh, You could talk about Ryan Day at Ohio State. I've gone through the list of names. It hasn't changed much. I'm I'm flat out telling you again tonight. Those programs are not paying nearly top dollar. They're not even like top five, top ten. That's not what the numbers and the market dictate right now, that the numbers, the raw data suggests something other than the prevailing narrative out there. You can decide for yourselves why the narrative doesn't match reality. I'm just telling you the way it is right now. But on a more fundamental level, Did anyone really think Nick Saban was about to get shaken down by anyone on his roster? Now, you got the Bryce Youngs of the world who really don't have to do this because they're making seven figures in true NIL money. There's a big difference between roster value and brand value, which is what I keep going back to. Anytime we talk about NIL on the show, I keep going back to how I think we're headed towards smoother waters. It's terrible right now uh, because there's a lot of inadequacy. uh, There's a lot of figurative fumbling of the bag by some universities and some collectives. We've talked about Jaden Rashada and the mess at Florida and and Miami getting tied up in that. I just don't believe those stories are going to be dotting the landscape five years from now like they do right now. I don't think you're going to be hearing so much about uh, players hitting Nick Saban up saying, I need half a mil and a spot in the law school for my girlfriend or I'm out. I don't think that's the prevailing story five years from now it is right now because it's new it's just new guys five years from now I've told you before but if you're new to the program I'll tell you once more um if you if you're a more traditionalist type of fan like me I think you'll be happy with the direction the sport in NIL is about to head because it's going to benefit people like us and it's going to benefit the players and it's going to benefit the programs everybody's going to be happier And and a new industry is going to rise as a result of it, by the way. So be on the right side of that. But here's what it's going to look like. NIL is not just NIL. NIL is two compartments. One of them is roster value. That's basically how much I'm worth as a linebacker at Pate State to that team and their effort to win a football game. But the other side is brand value, which is different than roster value. Brand value is I'm a linebacker at Pate State. Pate State's a premier program. You see me on Saturdays and Subway wants to ink a deal with me That's NIL brand value down the road. The powers that be at all levels of this sport and what the enterprise of NIL will be are not going to allow this to be some backroom, shady, discombobulated collective mess. It's just not going to be that way for long. This is not going to be a roster value game for very long. It's going to be a brand value game, but That doesn't mean that you won't have value simply for being a football player at a major university. I just think the brand value game is going to pull into its orbit things like collective group licensing. You know, for example, if I play for uh, the the University of Texas, I may be a five-star wide receiver, and I'm worth a lot to Texas, but that Texas Longhorn logo on the side of my head And that Texas across my chest is worth a whole lot more to me. And right now that's not the way this is talked about, but it's reality may make some people uncomfortable. I'm not saying players have no value. I'm just saying the intellectual property they're putting on their head and their chest has infinitely more value. It was there before they got here. It'll be there long afterwards. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't profit for contributing to that branding. Quite the opposite. What I'm saying is, to make things nice and neat, how about this? How about I'm telling you one day, not too far down the road, it'll kind of be understood what the value, what the going rate, what the brand value is for being a receiver at the University of Texas, for being a left tackle at the University of Tennessee. And how that is constructed is through group licensing. Right now, it's kind of a mess, but in the future, people will get their act together, The major brands of the world, especially funneling through entities like Learfield IMG, that will have its act together in the next three to five years. And all the power players, basically all the brands you see during commercial breaks on the CBS game of the week and the ABC and Fox games of the week, they will eventually, in the best of ways, be in bed with those universities And through group licensing, it'll be understood, I'm getting this much every year. And I know before I go to Oklahoma how much I'm getting, simply because I'm an Oklahoma football player. You were about to watch the NFL draft not too far from now. And it's not a big mystery what the number 16 overall pick in the draft is going to make. We know because we can see it on a scale. Right now, that's not how NIL works. Because the way NIL is operating right now is a bastardization of roster value posing as brand value that won't be the case for long because the money will be eventually big enough in the brand value game to where you don't have to waste your time hitting up your fan base $10 at a time to contribute to your collective there will always be that roster value side of it there will always be the ability as a fan base to go above and beyond and if your program's desperate for a quarterback Go get that quarterback by any means necessary. I, I would contend the quarterback market will always be different anyway. But what Nick Saban just said out loud is what a lot of coaches have been saying and what more and more of them are going to continue to say. I'm not doing this. I'm not giving a non-quarterback, unproven high school kid $800,000. You're insane. If somebody will, they'll say exactly what Saban said. You ought to go play for them. And likewise, players already on your roster. Again, unless it is a proven stalwart or a quarterback or a high profile perimeter skill player or left tackle, basically the same positions that carry max value at the next level on Sundays, unless it's one of them, you're not going back to the bargaining bargaining table over and over again. There's kind of this fantasy world that people kept posing saying, I think every player is going to go into the portal every summer. I think they're going to they're going to renegotiate their value with every program. You may do it for a little while. You may. I'm just saying I think the NIL world is going to evolve to where there's no point in doing it because you're not hurting for money anymore. That's where I think we're headed. Right now, the Nick Sabans of the world and all the other coaches, they're, they're living in a world where we're trying to get there. I think we'll eventually get there and I think everyone will be better off for it. Appreciate you guys being tuned in, by the way. Um, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. I have got some things to talk to you about regarding scheduling. And um, you know what, let's start with the ACC. Okay, so the ACC finally released their schedule and I don't say finally in a pejorative manner. I actually credit the ACC and the Big 12 for that matter uh, because, well, really twofold. Number one, because they understand the calendar and there's no reason that you need to just randomly announce your schedule in the fall or even over Christmas. You can wait, no one got hurt. No one is a victim because they waited and built up and they promoted the event. That's, that's basic marketing 101. That's, that's basic content strategy 101. So the ACC finally released their schedule. That's the first thing. The other thing you need to know about the ACC is new format. Got a new format over there. There are no divisions anymore. And they're playing the 3-5-5 format, which means you have three permanent rivals. Three teams you play every year and then you play five of them one year, and then the other five the next year, and then five of them the next year, and then the other five the next year. So you're playing every team in your conference every two-year stretch. So if you play your entirety, your four years, uh, you're playing every team in your league twice, at least, and some of them four times. So with that in mind, some takeaways here, some brief takeaways. Uh, The first thing I wanted to know, as will many of you, when the schedule was released is, Hey, where's that, uh, where's that FSU-Clemson game? I have answers. Paper pop. It's in week four. We don't have to wait till late, late, late in the year. It is September 23rd. And this is not an easy September stretch, by the way. For Clemson, it is. Clemson starts at Duke. They got Charleston Southern. They got Florida Atlantic. And then they got FSU. So we really will not have learned a whole. You know what? Never mind. Don't be disrespecting Mike Elko on this program. Uh, Clemson has to go to Duke. They don't get to go to Duke. They have to go to Duke in week one. And then they do play a couple of tomato cans and then they've got Florida State in week four at home. So that's that's part one of what we'll be looking forward to. Colin, do we have FSU schedule? Since we're speaking about the Seminoles, yeah. Uh, they've got it a little bit tougher in the month of September. You remember they played against LSU in New Orleans to start this last year. Well, they've got another neutral site abomination to start this year, um, not the game, but the venue. Nothing against Orlando. I would just much rather see this happen in Baton Rouge and Tallahassee. But that's me. I'm not the commissioner of this sport yet. And for that reason, Florida State's going to play LSU in Orlando to start the year. And uh, they also have a trip to Boston College before that game at Clemson. And that game at Clemson is the second leg of a back-to-back road stretch for FSU. So you may think, well, if they get through that unscathed, They could go undefeated. Oh, well, yeah, certainly they could. So I'm not doubting Mike Norvell and company. I'm just saying they also have another back-to-back road stretch later in the year that sees them go to Pittsburgh in November, and that's the week before they play Miami. And they also go to the Swamp at the end of the year to play Florida. So there's that. Also, the toughest stretches in the ACC this year, speaking of Miami, I don't think Miami has the easiest end to the season either. They have a stretch where they go... I want to say one two so I may have seen it wrong. So Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that game against Boston College not on the road? One? Yeah, okay. So I, I, if, if not, then forget what I'm saying about Miami. At the very least, they've got a back-to-back road stretch against NC State and Florida State in November. That alone's tough enough. I thought they may head to Boston College at the end of the year, too. Um, that Boston college game's on a Friday, by the way. So that may have been what I was looking at, Jesse. So that's on short rest. So they've got a a sort of backloaded schedule, except they play Clemson in October. So there's that. Uh, North Carolina. I don't want to hear any of you people complaining because this is this is about as well as you can have it set up. First off, you get to play the Camels. Anytime you get Campbell on your schedule, it is celebratory because not everyone gets to play the Camels. Everyone feels like they get to play food. Rice is on everyone's schedule. The camels of Campbell? Not so much. So you got Campbell on there. Anyway, um, I want you to just listen to this. I don't have to look at my piece of paper. Colin's got it pulled up here. You tell me where the road games are. They play South Carolina, and I think that's in Charlotte, so that's a neutral site game. App State at home, Minnesota at home. They've got Pitt on the road. Then there's a bye week. We got to recover from a trip to Pittsburgh. Syracuse, home. Miami, home. Virginia, home they go to georgia tech Hoomst is intimidated by that right now they go to georgia tech return home against campbell home against duke north carolina does not play their third true road game until november 18th they end the year at clemson at nc state congratulations to mac brown i don't know who you have pictures on in the league office but congratulations there um I think that if you look at the biggest landmine on the entire conference schedule, at least among the contenders, to go back to Clemson's schedule for just a second, there's a game on October 28th where Clemson goes to NC State. And that was the circle game in the conference this past year. and it, it will be one of the circle games this upcoming year. They go to NC State. and You may be thinking, oh, Devin Leary's moved on. What's the big deal? Brendan Armstrong down there now. Well, I'll tell you what the big deal is. That is the second leg of a back-to-back road stretch. So Clemson goes at Miami, then they go at NC State, and they've got Notre Dame on deck. Guess who North Carolina State plays the week before they play Clemson? Approximately nobody. They're off a bye. Anytime you got the back-to-back road stretch and you're playing a team off a bye, just be heads up about that. These are college football players. It matters. November 4th, that weekend, is the one I have circled. you got Notre Dame, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina State, FSU, Pitt. And uh, the best week also, you can look at rivalry week because, of course, you've got Clemson, South Carolina. Hey, that matters again. you got FSU, Florida. you got NC State, North Carolina. So the ACC schedule, that one's finally out. And um, somewhere, somebody's saying you can't talk about schedules in January, but it wasn't me, Maul. Meemaw used to always tell me schedules are a year-round thing in college football. You know why? Because college football is a year-round thing. Period. Thank you, Meemaw. Uh, except that we're not done because we're going to talk about the Big 12 here. Uh, do, do, you, do you know as of tonight, could you name every team in the Big 12? Some of you may think you can, and many of you actually can. We've got a very informed and sharp audience around here. But others amongst us, maybe not so much. For instance, Colin, here's your end point. The Big 12 schedule has been released. I also credit the Big 12. I love the timing now i don't know what the circumstances were in the room that dictated you had to wait this long but i would tell you guys just pretend you did it on purpose because this was really good this is really well timed you pushed it all the way to right before signing day and and look everyone's still standing it's a it's a fact that there have been zero fatalities because of schedules being released late and that is courtesy of stats and info so keep doing it and if anyone complains tell them. Do you guys want to secede? Because we've got other folks knocking on the door to try and get in the Big 12. Nine conference games, they're keeping it, but they've gone to 14 teams. Did you hear me? You hear what I said? Yeah, they got 14 teams in this conference now. No divisions. UCF is a Big 12 team now. Brigham Young, Big 12 team. Houston, Big 12. Cincinnati, Big 12. Yep. In case you had forgotten which year that was set to kick in, it's this one. They're in. They're in as of now. There are several big out-of-conference games in the first few weeks of the season. Producer Jesse looked at me and said, hey, before you talk about the league schedule, listen to this. And he just starts rattling off all these games. Everything I'm about to tell you happens in the first two or three weeks of the season. I think it's the first two weeks of the season. Easily the first three weeks. Uh, Oregon plays at Texas Tech. West Virginia is at Penn State. Colorado at TCU. Texas is at Bama, Utah at Baylor, Cincinnati at Pitt, Iowa at Iowa State, Pitt at West Virginia, and Brigham Young at Arkansas. All that happens in the first three weeks of the season. God bless the Big 12. While the ACC is out here playing all kinds of non-Power 5 teams, uh, they are stepping up here. There was a a stat, Jesse, you gave me, where the ACC – Oh, I'll tell you what it was. Here it is. It's on the post-it. So the ACC is playing six non-Power 5 road games this year. They played 10 of them last year. They went 7-3. and Jim Phillips is saying, please stop that. There's nothing to be gained from North Carolina going to App State. Nothing to be gained from that. Please stop that. Uh, The Big 12 not doing that as far as I can see. Oklahoma is going to have a rough landing here. And and by rough landing, I mean, well, I guess a rough takeoff because they're leaving the Big 12. But before they do... The Big 12 uh, put a giant headwind in their face and said, take off against this. Now I understand that for those of you in the Big 10 who have to play uh, Ohio State and Michigan, or those of you in the SEC who have to play Georgia or Bama, know what I'm about to read you is not gonna be a murderer's row. I'm trying to save you time. You don't have to peck away in the comments and trash talk Oklahoma's schedule. I am simply telling you that going to Kansas To Oklahoma State, home against West Virginia, and then making a trip to Provo, Utah against Brigham Young as your third road game in four weeks is not the easiest thing in the world to do. Oh, and by the way, you then come home if you survive all that and you get to play the conference's lone playoff representative last year, TCU, on short rest. They get six days prep after three road games in four weeks, including one of them being in Provo, Utah. So, I'm just saying it's not easy. That's, that's all I'm saying. Also, TCU did not get the easiest of draws. Uh, the Horned Frogs' last four games at Texas Tech, rapidly improving program, by the way, against Texas at home, against Baylor at home, at Oklahoma. I mean, look at that November. Texas Tech, Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma. That's how TCU ends the year. Baylor, only four road games. Go Dave! Only four road games. They only leave the state of Texas thrice. And you know how rarely I use that word. Uh, They also get to play Long Island, for whatever that's worth. Uh, They go at UCF, at Cincinnati, at Kansas State, at TCU. That trip to Cincinnati, by the way, as you can see, is off a bye week. So uh, I feel pretty darn good about Baylor this upcoming year. Said it last year. I'll say it again this year. And eventually, I will be right again. The best week. I I think I'm partial to November 11th. But truthfully, we deliberated about like three or four different weekends because uh, this is a very competitive conference. It's a pretty balanced conference. And with the additions, you, you have to train your eyes. You look at Houston or Cincinnati on the schedule, and you got to remember, oh, that's a conference game now. Uh, but this, this November 11th weekend, we get Baylor at Kansas State. We get Iowa State at Brigham Young. Uh, we get Central Florida at Oklahoma State. We get Texas at TCU and Oklahoma at West Virginia, and, and all that's just happening on one Saturday in the Big 12. I love the Big 12. They don't call me Big 12 Pay, yeah, but I love the Big 12. Um, they're watching us in Virginia Beach, Virginia tonight. Uh, Thibodeau, Louisiana, Amarillo, Texas. Thank you, thank you so much. Got a lot of, I got an inordinate amount of Post-its. The, how about the first ever Post-it pop on the show? So that's just indicative of a lot of research being done by stats and Thank you so much. I got to warn you about something before I get into this. <laughs> this is so terrible. Um, saying um too much on the show tonight, but, but it, it, this deserves a great big um. Uh, this is me just stalling because I don't want to say what I'm about to say. The biggest, the biggest moment of humiliation in the history of bold predictions on my end is forthcoming. That is the tease Let me give you the five bold predictions we're going back to. These were your predictions from August, and some of them crashed and burned, but there was one that I gave a a 9.5 on the boldness scale, and it I'll I'll give you the quotes. I deserve everything I'm about to put myself through. But the first one, the first bold prediction was Hunter saying Arkansas is going to finish 10 or 2, 10 and 2 or better. And this was never going to happen. Schedule, schedule, schedule. That's all I kept saying. I think I said it three times then. I'm going to say it three more times now. They had the entire SEC slate. Then they had a trip to Brigham Young. And they had Liberty on the schedule. And it was, it was borderline a dereliction of, of all that is holy against the players and coaches up there. Because there's no real shot against this. Quite frankly, 7-6 and six is not even a disaster against the schedule they played. And here's the thing about what Hunter predicted. Consider what Arkansas was in 2021. A great success story, right? They went eight and four in the regular season. So we're asking them to do two games better than they did in their successful year. And we're asking them to do it against that schedule. That's just never going to happen. So I put an eight on that. And even with the Liberty Bowl win, they went seven and six. So that was, that was not in the cards. Next up, this isn't it either, but it's coming. Uh, We had a prediction about Power 5 champs here. Austin said there will be a Power 5 conference champ that's currently at 8.5 wins or less in the over-under betting line. And uh, this happened. It did indeed happen. We did have a Power 5 conference champ, Kansas State, of course, because their preseason over-under win total was 6.5, and they just go on and win the Big 12. A very Big 12 thing to have happen. The reason why I put a five on this, the reason why I absolutely thought it was going to happen was because in 2021, it happened four out of the five conferences. Think about what I just said. That's how crazy the renaissance year was in 2021. Four out of five Power Five conference champs had preseason win totals of under eight and a half wins. Pretty wild. And so I looked at this prediction and I thought it was going to happen. I thought the ACC was the best shot. Because here's the thing. Clemson was the only team in the ACC that had a preseason win total above 8.5. So my thinking was, if it's anyone other than Clemson, this prediction hit. Well, it turns out it wasn't anyone other than Clemson, but the prediction still did hit. And with that in mind, um, we begin my tour of shame here. Colin, let's just show him the prediction, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I said about it. Adam said... Texas A&M is going to struggle. They will barely become bowl eligible. My response was catastrophic. Um, I put a nine and a half on this. I laughed at Adam, who in reality was too kind to Texas A&M. Adam himself was not willing to predict in reality how bad it turned out to be. But I put a nine and a half on this. In other words, I said, this is as bold a prediction as we have gotten there is no way that team is about to miss a bowl game or border on missing a bowl game. And Jesse provided me with the exact quote I used. Quote, Texas A&M has a disaster-proof roster. Josh Pate, August 2022. What have I done to myself? You've heard of glass ceilings before, and we're always trying to break through them, and it's a noble cause. You don't think about the glass floor so much, though. Texas A&M did. And they took a few sticks of dynamite and they blew right through that thing. And whatever you thought was worst case scenario, Jimbo Fisher said, "Mm mm-mm, watch this. And they proceeded to miss a bowl game. They didn't struggle to make one. They missed it. And they they beat LSU at the end of the year and that still wasn't good enough. So Texas A&M made fools out of a lot of you. Excuse me, a lot of us because a lot of us looked at him and said, a bad year would be seven wins, right? That's what I thought. I thought seven wins would be a bad year. And uh, no, seven losses was a bad year. So that one went really sideways. That is the by far the highest boldness rating I put on a prediction that actually came true, as far as we can tell. <sighs> Next up, it's depressing. Sammy said, for the second time ever, we will have five different outright Power Five conference champs than last year. So all five of the conferences are going to have a different champ than they did last year. I put a seven on this. He went three for five. SEC, yes, new conference champ. ACC, yes, new conference champ. Big 12, yep, got a new conference champ. Pac-12, same old Utah. Big 10, same old Michigan. And so that's that. Um, I, you know, I thought that this was only a seven, And I thought it was very possible because here's the thing. If Bama won the SEC, that would have qualified for this. If Clemson won the ACC, which they did, that that would fit this description. If Ohio State won the Big Ten, that would fit this description. Those were the three preseason favorites in those conferences. I needed Texas or Oklahoma to win the Big 12, and and this would have fit the prediction. Those were the preseason one, twos in, in that conference. I needed USC or Oregon to win the Pac-12 and that would have fit this description. So basically, if nothing more than chalk would have held, the prediction would have come true, but chalk did not hold. It's a funny thing when you start playing those games, not on paper, but on real football fields. Lastly, Rand said, Auburn will have two 1,000 yard rushers again for the first time since 2017. I put a 9.98 on this. I thought it was unfathomable. It didn't happen. But it wasn't quite as unfathomable as I thought. Now, take Bigsby. I had no problem picturing him topping 1,000. He almost did. He had 970. That wasn't where my problem was. <clears throat> oh, it's like a, I got a hiccup streak going on the show. It's crazy. Robbie Ashford was not necessarily the guy I had in mind when I pictured Auburn's second leading rusher. I was thinking Jarquez Hunter, who had 668 yards. But Robbie Ashford had 710. So the prediction was two guys over 1,000. We got 970, 710, and 668. So you I had three pretty good rushers. They, they all were over 4.6 yards per carry, I think. It's just we never got one single one over the 1,000-yard mark. I will be haunted for days, possibly weeks, by that Texas A&M prediction. I hope the rest of you are happy. I hope it was fun for you because it wasn't fun for me. It has been very fun for me to watch the guy who is at the center of the next conversation we're going to have, though. Uh, Keep in mind, I got Steve Wolf on coming up. I mean, like, I am going to stall as he walks his happy little self in here and sits down at the desk live and in person in like 15 minutes, maybe less. So stay tuned for that because National Signing Day is nearly upon us and there are still several dominoes left to fall. In the meantime... Jalen Hurts is going to the Super Bowl. Bammerman85 hits us up and says, hey, who gets to claim Jalen Hurts? Oklahoma or Bama? The hook is not in my mouth. I am not going to get drawn into this. This has been possibly the dumbest sports debate of our time. It has made me miss MJ versus LeBron. It has made me long for Barry Bonds or Babe Ruth, which, which previously took the cake. But we got... A, a dead serious, like knock down, drag out social media fight in the streets right now about whether Oklahoma or Alabama should be able to claim Jalen Hurts, which, quite frankly, delves into conversation that makes me feel a little icky. How about this? How about I watched him play for both programs at a pretty high level. So if I were Oklahoma, you know what I would do? I claim Jalen Hurts. And if I were Alabama, you know what I would do? I claim Jalen Hurts. And that's about the end of the debate. Now, if you're asking me, which which jersey do I see him in when I picture Jalen Hurts? I'd probably say Alabama, Uh, but it's not like I have forgotten what we're watching right now. It's not like I have ceased to remember what he did at Oklahoma that, quite frankly, vaulted him into position to be drafted where he was drafted. Anyway, that, that debate, if you want to call it that notwithstanding, I did see some conversation gaining traction about how Jalen Hurts and Joe Burrow are interchangeable. What are you talking about? And then when I asked, what are you talking about? Some people came back and said, oh, Josh, think about it. Just think for a second. If Alabama claims Jalen Hurts, why wouldn't Ohio State claim Joe Burrow? Because 99.4% of the living, breathing American population has forgotten Joe Burrow ever existed at Ohio State. Everyone remembers Jalen Hurts at Alabama. The dude played like half a dozen title games down there. He won championships at Alabama. So that's why it's different. So anyway, I'm not going to get sucked into that. But what I did say the other day when some of you were asking me about this is I said, you know, the 2018 season, which culminated in the SEC championship game, where Jalen Hurts ended up coming in off the bench and beating Georgia, it's my favorite individual game memory. That I've ever witnessed and I've seen national championship games in person. I've basically any big game you've seen We've been blessed enough to be on the sideline front and center for it over the better part of the last decade But that 18 sec championship game was something. I'll never forget for a few reasons Some of them you saw and some of them you didn't get to see but I did so I'm gonna tell you about them right now But I do want to set the backstory because everyone remembers Jalen hurts shut out halftime Saban benches him he brings in Tua Tua second 26 to Devonte. Bama wins white and crimson confetti falls all over Mercedes-Benz Stadium everyone remembers that and everyone remembers the next year where Jalen Hurts has been on the bench all year and then Tua gets hurt and Jalen comes off the bench in the SEC championship game and not only does he win the game he looks like a better quarterback he has worked his tail off the entire year under Steve Sarkeesian And is an improved player. Which I thought spoke volumes and volumes and volumes about his character. But there is that word character. And um, two points I want to make. One of them just came to me. I saw someone talking about this earlier today and they're dead on the money. You know, a lot is made when guys get in trouble. When they're from broken homes. And everyone wants to talk about the absence of a male role model or a father figure. And I'm... I'm there for you if you're making that point in the right spirit. But I also think you should be just as front and center when you've got a phenomenal upbringing. And not only do you have a coach's son, but you've just got a model parenting job that's been done. And you've got a guy who reflects a strong male role model in his father. And that's Jalen Hurts. When you listen to him talk, when you watch the way he carries himself, understand that's not by accident. And it didn't just start when he went to the University of Alabama or Oklahoma either. So for everyone who wants to point out the negative side of that coin, just make sure you're there to point out the positive side. Anyway, that notwithstanding, there was a little situation. Wasn't there. After that 2017 Tua to Devontae moment, Jalen Hurts didn't graduate and go to the NFL. He had a decision to make. And this is where my memory goes when I think about Jalen Hurts. The year was 2018. The month was August. I want to say it was like August 5th. It was right at the beginning of fall camp. Everyone and their mother, including me, thought that Jalen Hurts was going to have long transferred away from Alabama. Because two is the starter, right? And so you're going to transfer. Now, this is kind of pre-transfer portal era, but it wasn't unheard of for guys to be transferring. So everyone thinks Jalen Hurts is going to transfer. Here's the thing, though. No one asked Jalen Hurts. And that was his message. Come fan day in 2018, right as Bama's open in fall camp, Jalen Hurts has not said a word all summer. They go through spring ball, they go through summer conditioning. He hadn't said a word, hadn't posted hardly anything on social media. And reporters get access to him on that August afternoon right there in Bryant Denny Stadium. And he basically held like a 30 minute impromptu press conference and he said some things that really rubbed Bama fans the wrong way at the time but he just spoke his mind he had some things on his heart he was respectful as can be about it but he said you know everyone thought I was leaving and maybe even the coaching staff thought I was leaving no one asked me how I felt and that includes the coaching staff he said no one asked me how I felt and I hadn't said anything about it I've tried to stay above board but essentially what he was saying is a lot of folks wanted to put words in my mouth. They wanted to assume what I was going to do, and no one ever checked with me. And then he said, there's been an elephant in the room the whole time. Ever since he hit that pass to Devontae Smith, he said, there's been an elephant in the room. People wanted to pretend like it didn't exist, and this was a video game. It's real life. I want that starting job. He took the starting job from me. I want to have it, is what he's saying. I, I'm, I'm ready to be a model citizen, but I want to be the starting quarterback at Alabama, and I don't have that right now. And so he was venting some frustration. I appreciated it because he's just a competitor. And truthfully, I think Nick Saban appreciated it. With that in mind, now I want you to remember 2018. Tua starts. I think he went virtually wire to wire. There may have been some minor injury concerns, but it was Tua's team in 2018 until we got to Atlanta and the SEC championship game's happening. And Tua goes down. Jalen Hurts comes off the bench. Now hit the play button. Jalen Hurts does everything you remember him doing. Jalen Hurts wins it. Uh, he has a dramatic fourth-quarter comeback. Takes the lead against Georgia. Uh, there's a Hail Mary at the end. Bama knocks it down. I'm standing like 10 yards from him. And place goes crazy. The post-game scene on the field was as memorable as anything you'll see, I think, in major college football. Because Jamie Erdahl, who was sideline reporter for CBS at the time, she goes and grabs Nick Saban. She grabs Jalen Hurts. And Saban has got tears in his eyes. And he's crying. And he's sitting there with his arm around Jalen Hurts because he knew, I think, that he was seeing the last of a dying breed. And that is a guy who has potential to be a high-caliber starting quarterback, sticking around when he's not the starting quarterback and being a model teammate the entire time. And it's, it's almost like he looked at it and had appreciation for him as way more than a football player by that point. Now, if you were close to the program, you were already picking up on that. But I think nationally, people were shocked. All people knew about Nick Saban's relationship with Jalen Hurts nationally was he benched him in the title game. And, and by the way, good for Nick Saban, but boy, man, I, I don't know. How can Jalen Hurts like that guy? How can there be any strong relationship or bond? Understand competition, and you understand how there can be. You fast forward to that moment. Nick Saban's fighting back tears. That's what you saw on TV. The reason it sticks with me is because I walked with him right off the field. I walked with him right up the tunnel. And once the head coach at the University of Alabama knew that he was out of sight from cameras and out of sight from media and fans, you want to see emotion get turned loose. You should have been standing next to me. You should have seen what I got to see up that tunnel. I'll never forget it. It's one of the most vivid memories that I have in my relatively short time covering college football relative to what some people have been able to do. Never seen Nick Saban like that before or since. Never seen anything like it. And so that team didn't even go on to win the national championship. But that moment in time and, and seeing kind of on the field, but then really seeing off the field what the bond was like between those two, how much that player, meant to Nick Saban, you uh, struggle to put it into words, because really he couldn't even put him into words. And then behind the scenes, I think part of the reason Jalen Hurts has such appreciation for both of these programs, including the one he left, is because on the Alabama side of things, afterwards, everything that could possibly be done to facilitate his exit to a prime position like Oklahoma was done. And I don't think you'll see that very often down the road. I just, I'm not saying you'll never see it. I said last of a dying breed. I don't know that we'll never see a player like Jalen Hurts, but there's a reason people are making such a big deal about him. There's a reason I continue to make such a big deal about him. And there's a reason why you got two major brands fighting over who gets to claim him. It's because he really is that good. And um, you want someone to look up to you got, you got a little kiddo at home. You want to try and find one of those role model pro athletes. That quarterback in Philadelphia is a pretty good place to start. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week, so use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you got to do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Marley One Love, rated PG13 now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, what I'm about to do here, Colin, you can go ahead and start stirring in there. What I'm about to do is gonna be a little awkward. See? It's already awkward. There's a full screen slate on your television monitor, your computer, your phone if you're watching right now. We have to make some adjustments, and so I'm going to do the ad read full screen, and there's going to be a lot of movement as we bring Steve Wiltfong into the studio otherwise. Academy Sports and Outdoors makes everything we do possible. They make the entire show possible. They make it possible for us to go coast to coast. We were on the road, what, like 28 straight weeks in a row, something like that, Colin, this season, and we've got some more plans coming up, and I just want to remind you guys, it's because of that very brand you see on your screen. And if you're listening on podcast, just picture that bright blue Academy Sports and Outdoors branding in front of you. Look, uh, it's about to get a lot more cheery outside. The weather is abhorrent in Nashville and all over the southeast right now. But I promise you, um, because climatologically, I can make this guarantee. Spring will come. Those spring sports seasons will come and you will be able to enjoy the outdoors. And I want you to do it right after you go to Academy Sports and Outdoors. It is your one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods and beyond. I don't even care. If you can't throw a football, I don't care if you don't have the hand-eye coordination to make contact with a baseball. At the very least, you can buy those tents or those chairs and go watch your loved ones participate in such activities. And also, look, break out the grill. I got a bunch of great grilling equipment there. Hit the outdoors. I got a bunch of great tents out there. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop for everything that, as I like to say, you could possibly need in your life. Uh, I want you to also remember, as we get set to talk, some National Signing Day here, tomorrow, 9 a.m eastern time 8 a.m where we live national signing day coverage begins on the 24 7 sports youtube channel it'll be wall to wall the affable young man that you're about to see seated across from me will be dishing out scoop as he's about to do momentarily uh we got ivan's here Uh, we got a bunch of people here and so multiple studios will be taken up and we'll bring you all the commitments and all the final rankings movement still some things that are unsettled and with that in mind I'm ready to come back into the studio. What a, what a brilliant job Director Colin just did. Wilfong, how are you?
1: Doing well, man, thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, so you've been
0: you out in the, been been in the hallway morning. and yeah, I've, I've been, been on the show. show. Um,
1: anything happened in the last hour? Well, I uh, did a lot of research on the ACC for National Signing Day. So <laughs> excited to talk a little ACC with you tomorrow uh out there but nothing big on the trail you know still trying to keep Keep up up with the nicholas harbor recruitment right he's the number one ranked athlete in the country out of washington dc south carolina is the program that i still like to land his you're still south carolina on as we talk right now and it's the highest ranked south recruit or south carolina recruiting class in 24 7 sports history i believe number 16 nationally right now and i really love the way that uh, coach beamer and that staff has bolstered up the offensive line in this hall got some playmakers like Vicari Swain at wide receiver and if they can add Nicholas Harbor to that who is you know I had one college coach tell me I mean he's prettier than DK Metcalf you know right now um, you know he you know that would be another big pickup for for South Carolina as, as that program is on the trajectory up but nicholas harbor is still talking to other programs josh i mean you, you had maryland, maryland mentioned, there mentioned there this morning like who else, else is saying. in that yeah and uh our jeff ehrman from the maryland site says michael oxley's going to talk to nicholas harbor again tonight i know oregon is still in touch with the nicholas harbor camp michigan's the fourth finalist there but i think that if if anyone's able to turn it from south carolina it's more likely that it's gonna be Maryland or Oregon. And I think that there's people in the Harbor camp that really like Oregon as well. He took his official visit out to Eugene this past weekend, had a great experience out there. This is a young man that has aspirations of running in the Paris Olympics in two years, has aspirations of being a professional football player. And I know, you know, being a Nike athlete is is something that's potentially exciting. Uh, getting to spend some time with Phil Knight on his official visit is is something that's certainly special and uh you know getting the uh, the red carpet tour of hayward field and 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 track capital usa was something that's awesome but look south carolina i think that's where his best relationships are Uh, i think south carolina has done the best job of recruiting him from start to finish from the coaching staff to the players on the team to the current recruits i think he's very comfortable with the people in columbia likes the trajectory of the program you know their track coaches uh uh, uh, has, has been coaching for 27 years there in Columbia and has had a lot of success with international athletes as well. And so I think South Carolina has a lot going on here. Late Miami is another school that's still chopping wood on Nicholas Harbor as well. So you, you guys have followed recruiting for a long time. And we'll see if there's any changes in the pulse uh, by tomorrow. Um, but right now, as we talk here on Late Kick, uh, I still like South Carolina for Nicholas Harbor. Mike's messed up Wolfong. Uh, mine, not yours, Oregon big moves tomorrow. Well, they're in on a couple blue chippers. We talked about Nicholas, Nicholas Harbor, you know, and, and uh, um, they're, they're also looking to add a, a defensive defensive back out of Texas or out of, uh, California, Roderick Pleasant, who's also one of the fast, so Nicholas Harbor is maybe the fastest 200 meter guy in the country. Roderick Pleasant is maybe the fastest hundred meter guy. Uh, in, in the country. So he's also a coveted track recruit uh, by the Oregon staff, uh, but certainly USC, their their track program's not chopped liver as well. Our colleagues, Brandon Huffman, Greg Biggins, and Blair Angulo, spent time with them at the Polynesian Bowl. They were getting a heavy USC vibe. I've talked to some, some sources uh, around, with knowledge of that program, and they also feel good about their position, but I know that Roderick Pleasant in, remains in regular touch with Oregon, and I think good vibes are being sent towards the Ducks as well. So that's one that I still thinks a little bit of a toss-up going into tomorrow. I, if you made me make a prediction right now, I'd probably say USC, but that's also kind of piggybacking off the intel of our great insiders out west. But I know Oregon is very alive for Roderick Pleasant here down the stretch as well. So uh, Oregon, uh, they have a top 10 class right now with a chance to move up a little bit more. Um, I'm a big Douche Robinson guy. Cause I remember when we were out at Elite 11 and we're out there
0: watching all these quarterbacks and there's this receiver they keep throwing to, which in reality ended up being a tight end. And, and I eventually said, Will Fung, who is that? He said, oh, that's Deuce Robinson. And so I'm looking at him now and he's got five of those stars next to his name. You got some Georgia buzz there. I mean, 247sports.com, by the way, where you can see Wilfong's latest signing day scoop. I assume we'll have more there in the morning. But as of this morning, you were talking about a lot of Georgia buzz, um, but I mean, SoCal kid. So USC had been a favorite at one point. So where does his recruitment stand?
1: well i still think that georgia is the college football program that he likes the most and as you know it's well documented we talked about nicholas harbor we talked about roderick pleasant those are two elite multi-sport athletes so is deuce robinson you know this is a young man that's definitely going to hear his name called in the major league baseball draft how high you're a big baseball guy goes on probably the promises he makes to an organization uh, based on signing bonus and all kinds of language like that. But um, he's also obviously the number one ranked tight end in the country, and he wants to play football at the highest level as well. I think he's fo- uber-focused on both baseball and football and seeing how far he can go with both. So I think his college decision is, is heavily predicated on player development. Excuse me. and what no pro by Wolfman. <laughs> And no program has had better player development at the tight end position than Georgia right now has a great relationship with Todd Hartley and company but as Blair Angulo first reported and as I'm hearing I do not expect him to sign tomorrow I think he's told people he needs more time which is a good thing if you're USC or Texas or or Oregon trying to make a move late all right so
0: take a sip of your water over there um I don't have a chalice for you because you have your own at home but I need to ask you (laughs) What's the deal with Jaden Rashada? What's the latest on him? Like, do I expect to hear anything on him tomorrow?
1: Well, I do think that he's going to make a decision here uh, this week. You know, there was some talk that maybe he goes past Wednesday as well. I think that he's closing in on a decision. You have two finalists. You have Arizona State uh, where he visited two weekends ago. And then you have TCU where he visited this past weekend. Now, he's much more familiar with Arizona State and Kenny Dillingham. Kenny Dillingham recruited him for a long time, first at Florida State, then that translated to Oregon, and during his time at Oregon, you know, obviously the Ducks uh, had a top 10 scoring offense last year, a top 10 overall offense, and then Bo Nix emerges as one of the best quarterbacks in college football under Kenny Dillingham's watch after transferring from Auburn where it was a bit up and down. So. Uh, That offense and that quarterback development, real exciting, plus the relationship with Kenny Dillingham and his brother lives in Tempe. His dad played there, uh, and and perhaps uh, Arizona State also recruiting his other brother. I think there's a lot of reasons to like Arizona State here. For Jaden Rashada, TCU, Kendall Bryles, new offensive coordinator, Arkansas was an early contender for him, Uh, so he has a report with him. Uh, likes uh, Kendall Bryles' offense and likes him. As a person goes to visit TCU to get more acquainted with Sonny Dykes, meets him. You know, they have the Davey O'Brien winner and Max Duggan. He's a Heisman finalist. They make it all the way to the College Football National Championship. Dallas-Fort Worth area, also exciting there. But, you know, the more I think about this recruitment and kind of what I just said out there, I, you know, you got to like Arizona State, right? I mean, I think that they got the most going for them in this recruitment, and it's kind of up to TCU. To to give him that that same comfort level that I think he knows he'll have at Arizona State, so I like I like Arizona State right now for Jaden Rashada, and we'll kind of you know we'll see uh, what happens here uh, going into tomorrow. All right, so, so you and I are going to have, have a studio, studio all to ourselves, to ourselves tomorrow. They're, they're right. just going to just put, put us, us back, back here, here,
0: and we're going to be good to go. and We're going to be left right. alone. What do you think? Maybe you can call it a storyline if you want to. Maybe the the one or two things that we end up talking about a disproportionate amount as the morning early afternoon rolls on?
1: Well, I think that we just talked about the biggest names of uncommitted guys, right? So uh, a, lot of, a lot of the hay's already in the barn nationally. Um, so we're gonna break down uh, who had the best recruiting classes and most pivotal recruiting classes. And I think one class really stands out to me is uh, Oklahoma. I mean, this is a program that did not have anywhere close to the year that's the standard for their football program and what they're used to recently under Lincoln Riley and then just historically, right? And then you look at that defense, Brent Venable's defense ranked 129th in America, Josh. I don't know how many times his defense ranked 29th in america let alone 129. so this is a class that's ranked number four nationally that i think is a great foundation for them to start turning around first of all they got arguably the best quarterback in the country uh, you know how i felt about him at elite 11. i thought he was the best high school junior in the country going into elite 11 and nothing that he had as a, as a senior uh, i think he's the best high school quarterback doesn't mean he is the most upside oh, he certainly has great upside though and i know he was the number one quarterback on several college boards and for Oklahoma to land him, I think that's a major coup at quarterback. And then uh, I think that they, across the board, across that defense on all three levels, landed uh, a lot of potential difference makers to help change the narrative of that defense and finally you know, get, get things going in the way that Brent Venables and, and his staff want. Because that was a, a, a rough season for them this year. But this is an a awesome recruiting class, particularly at quarterback and particularly on defense. I love it. Now we got to get to bed because we actually have a phone. have a phone. Pleasure. At least
0: give a fist bump for all the time. Pleasure as always. Uh, reminder, one more time, 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. That's where you can be tuned in. Wall-to-wall. You see the schedule. You saw it there on the bottom of the screen. Until tomorrow, we'll be back with Late kick Kickoff Thursday. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Payton. Take care. We'll see you bright and early tomorrow morning. Until then, God bless.